0: Today's show is brought to you by Coingaming and Permission.io. We'll hear more about those later on in the episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrev, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with crypto's most influential leaders to find out how this movement truly came to be. The show is produced in audio and video. So check us out on YouTube and I love emails. Please contact me, get in touch. I love it. The show is produced by Blockworks Group, a medium production company with over 20 podcasts in their network, including mine and my friends. So check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, Today's guest is, I hope, uh, someone who will become a new friend of mine, Simon Harmon. Thank you so much, the, the co-founder and CEO of the Loki Network. It's really good to have you on and to talk about privacy coins today. And, and privacy and anonymity in general is a, is a conversation topic that I uh, like to talk about every few months because it's one of those like common narrative and themes. Uh, and I have to go on a limb and say that without the ability to have privacy in any cryptocurrency, then we might as well pack up and go home because then what are we really doing here, right?
1: Yeah, thanks so much, Charlie, for having me. Uh, yeah, privacy is a huge topic for me. Obviously, it's become my life's work. Um, why? Why so, did it yeah. become
0: your life's work?
1: Well, I think it, it, it's also part of the reason why um, I got involved in crypto in the first place. I first found Bitcoin when I was still in high school, which really you know, probably makes me sound super young, but. Um, there was a lot of uh, you know teenage angst going on at that time. Me and my best friend were very into socialism and other ideas that we thought could change the world. We had bad taste in our mouth after 2008 and the crash and everything. So yeah, and then privacy um, is 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 just a function of what it would really mean for a cryptocurrency to be truly a uh, a genuine replacement for the financial system that we have today. Without privacy. You know, com- commerce can't occur in a in a in a regular
0: fashion. People don't really understand that. Can you can you go into that a little bit further? Because um, anyone who's listening who who hasn't listened to the show before, anyone who's getting new into crypto, kind of scoff their 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 thoughts or their whatever, scoff their heads. I don't even know what the what the term is uh, <laughs> at privacy because first thing they think is negative, something negative, and the word privacy got a negative connotation. But but hear me out for a second. Tell me, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say something to you. And you tell me, uh, before crypto, if you are possible to do this on the internet, if you want, if you and I are in a room alone together, right. And I want to buy something from you. Our transaction is private between us. No one knows what the details of that transaction. We're in a private room and we're paying with cash. Now, everyone (laughs) knows that potentially you and I walked in that room together with Think, you know, transactional ability. So, like, I guess what I'm trying to ask is except for the transaction where my arm could extend and I can hand someone cash, before crypto, was there any way to do a private type of transaction on the internet?
1: Absolutely no.
0: That's kind of like my point, you know? <laughs> and I want everyone to understand that, that there is a uh, cash is going away and there's a war on cash. Like, what is it like in Australia? Do you, in the U.S., we're still very cash prevalent. We're, we're huge. Uh, what is it like in Australia? Do you guys use a lot of cash? Is it more credit cards?
1: Mm, well, Australia has been one of the leading countries with the exception of China um, in terms of uh, going cashless. Um, we really adopted the whole, I don't know what you guys call it in the States, but the whole paywave thing when you rock up to the coffee yeah. shop and you tap your card and off you go. We've, we've been doing that for almost 10 years now. So, you know, we've really been in, in the whole cashless thing for a long time. Does anyone time.
0: ever use cash? Do you, like, if you're, okay, if you're going and you need uh, a closet fixed, you know, and you find a handyman on a local uh, <laughs> classifieds, is the handyman yeah. taking PayWave?
1: Well, they used to be. Um, the, the classic Australian trope of the cashies or the cash jobs, bit of Australian slang for you there. Oh, what's the slang? To, Tell me. This is cool. Uh, you want to do a cashy, mate. It means you want to do, you know, something with a bit of, you know, sneaky money behind the back sort okay. of thing. Well, just you know, basically
0: you want to use cash, but why, why is that sneaky or dirty? Like I want to use, why is that, if I offer cash versus a check or credit card, why is that dirty or sneaky? Well,
1: or? well in, in, in in most contexts, I completely agree with you, but specifically the word cashies does refer to off the books transactions. However, I do think that cash is a really important part of any society. Um, the ability for governments to censor people's access to money is a very, very serious problem and a very, very serious threat if societies do become cashless. And it's something it's almost that worse we've seen than information. In
0: it's, it's almost worse than information because at the end of the day, like, all right, give me free information, but if you restrict the flow of money, then what am I supposed to do? Just sit around yeah. and yell and scream at the top of my lungs?
1: It, if people don't actually have the means to buy, you know, Anything if they don't have the means to supply themselves with food and water and electricity and so forth, you know they don 't really have a hope and the government through a cashless society can have complete control over someone's spending and complete, can completely regulate what they can and cannot purchase with their own assets, which is really bad and as you point out you know there is a there is an information security issue as well, um, but they that, that 's that's, that's a whole other story money I, w- I think is much worse and in australia we 've actually gone ahead and banned all cash transactions above $10,000. You so serious? You, literally, you literally can't buy anything of any real utility in your houses, no cars, no boats, no nothing like that, which obviously is targeted at dealing with black money. Um, but you know, that's that, that insane. Can potentially have some very serious consequences for a lot of businesses that do typically trade in cash.
0: Like just nightclubs and things like that. I mean, uh, so moving on from that, right, and we have this, this understanding that we need privacy and we need some sort of cash-like uh, currency in our world for a lot of reasons, uh, how did this and uh, your exploration of different, like, uh, political systems versus, like, socioeconomic systems, you know, you're, you're, you and I were very alike. I was in college and I was starting to explore. I was uh, out of that 2008, 2009 year, and, uh, and I'm like, in, you know, in those exploratory stages, how did that, everyone knows my story, but how did that kind of lead you into Bitcoin and in crypto?
1: I don't, I, I still to this day don't really know how. <laughs> a me, lot my of people Yeah, me that answer. Yeah, we don't, we don't know how we found Bitcoin or where it first came across. We were looking at it for a year. And then in 2015, my first graduating year, I just started dropping every dollar I earned into Bitcoin um, after I got my first full-time job. So uh, I was very fortunate to be able to jump in in 2015, of course, but uh, it was really, really compelling. I mean, we were very disillusioned by the system. I don't—that's not, not a view that I hold anymore. I, I think things are a lot more nuanced than that, and I think there are a lot of in reasons way. why. Well, I just think uh, I don't think it's, it, it makes sense to critique a system that you haven't actually partaken in for any real length of time. That's an interesting,
0: um, ah, and I was never challenged with that before. Say that again.
1: So I, I, don't think, I don't think people are in a position to challenge a system when they haven't participated in it for any real length of time. Without the, without the context surrounding uh, a system design, it's very hard for someone who's brand new to the world, who's 18 years old, to yes. come in and go this is broken, this is broken, et cetera, et cetera. And so I I feel like I I was quite naive back then. However, the case that made Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and blockchain so compelling um, hasn't changed in all those years. Um, And I I still obviously find it very, very compelling, which is why why I'm here today and why both of us have kept on working in this industry for a number of years now.
0: And and in the industry fashion... Anyone who joins this industry for any length of time says, hey, I want to build something really cool. I want to build, right? So how did that lead you into building out the Loki network?
1: Well, uh, it started when after some years of not really talking to anyone else, except a couple of friends of mine who were also trading crypto, we started going to these local meetups. Um, And these local meetups, you know, had a bunch of the, Colourful characters that one has come to expect when you attend a crypto oh, event. Oh yeah, but for sure. We did uh, make some really fantastic friends there, like-minded young guys um, who and girls actually who both um, you know thought like us and were excited about the same things. And you know, we were just talking about trading initially, but after a while, our particular um, affinity for Monero became very apparent, and we. We're also looking at the time at a bunch of other um, cryptocurrencies, one of which was Dash, who had created uh, the first first masternode system. And we thought that there was a very compelling case that uh, you could use the stake node network idea that Dash had come up with to produce a whole lot of products that were based around the idea that you can have a permissioned sort of group of nodes based on a stake, um, but then they actually... Uh, perform off-chain um, activities.
0: This is an interesting question. Um, so when when Bitcoin first launched, uh, BitMessage was like, the. F- I remember when this guy Jonathan, he's still around actually, he mm, launched yeah. Bit, BitMessage. He um, <clears throat> conceptualized it and made the, the user interface like very easy to use and very basic. It just looked like an old email client. And the premise was being able to send anonymous messages over the Bitcoin uh, network. And it still works. I mean, the, the concept was proven very quickly. And then every single token and every single coin from 2017 uh, talked about doing, uh, over not just 2017, over time talked about doing like secure messaging. Why hasn't that really taken off? Why haven't we seen like, uh, I mean, everyone uses WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, um, all these different chat apps. Why hasn't uh, secure messaging on crypto really taken off in, in the way we expected it to?
1: I just think... Um... Not not many projects have had a crack at the private messaging problem. We're hmm. one of two um that I can think of that have actually produced something. Um, status was the other one, uh, but they've gone back to oh, the yeah, drawing board. Oh yeah, I remember board. status. They've gone back to the drawing board a few times now. We've spoken with them a fair bit actually. Um but uh yeah. There's there's some really interesting challenges with building distributed products in general. Um so there's a lot of the messaging apps that we use really heavily rely on the fact that they are centralized, that you know push notifications um, and just very high uptime, very high reliability, very low failure rates. These are all advantages of centralization, and when people want a, a messaging service that is generally you know very high on their priority list, so that actually builds something that is genuinely decentralized is also resistant to spam. And uh, has a lot of the same user experience expectations that many of the other apps do. It's actually really hard, and it's taken us two years to build Session so far. We um, launched six months ago, and you know it's it's a it's a complex bit of software, so it's been taking us uh, a while to get it up to a standard that we're happy with. Um, but we're we're getting really close to that now. We're probably only a couple weeks away, which is really exciting.
0: On that note. Um you I was reading the white paper of a project this morning and they had like their it was also like an internal working document for this project. And the company and it had on the top, it said, per first two priorities, first priorities, get it right. Second priority, get it onto the market. And I was almost mm-hmm. like saying to myself, what other industry where do you have to time the market so perfectly that it could make or break? The whole your whole company your 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 founders your investors your whole runway everything <laughs> you can't time that wave and it's not just about like your token doing well it's more about the health of the industry but the perceived health of the industry. Um, you guys launched at a at a at a double-edged sword time at a very uh, a good and bad time and actually this is a big compliment when I was researching your your company I was reading. I go and I read all the blog posts, right? And one of the things I, re- I found, a, like a footnote of one of your posts, like a footnote on the bottom, and this should be its own post, is that hmm. you said that all of your founders are still there. And when people, everyone's like, oh, who cares? But if you know crypto, you know that most projects and most companies, you, the original founders are just not the same people they are when back then. How have you been able to maintain, maintain like the, the team but like the love and the flair in that community all these years later and why, and, and what happened with a lot of projects that weren't able to, and how are other projects that are able to, how are they able to do it? Like, where was that? I guess, let me rephrase. Was there like a point in time where like, like 2018 or mid 2018 where you guys were just like, oh, like, what's the future? Where are we going? What's going to happen? Because we were like in a desert bear market. It was the winter Schlaf. It was the winter sleep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. 100%. A great question, Charlie. A really fantastic question. No one's ever asked this before. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, for us, we were in a bit of a weird position. We closed out our um, token sale in March of 2018, just as things were really starting to come down. We were able to lock in our cash reserves. So we had some runway for 3 years. And we had some really awesome ideas about what we were going to build. So for us, it was really nice because it meant that you know the distraction of the wider market went away. And the pressures to to do something, you know, in in the in the near term to capitalize on the latest hot thing just wasn't really a, 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 ever a consideration for us when we actually became fully operational. So, um, for us, it, you know, we all came together, local Melbourne guys, um, and yeah, it's it's been a really solid founding team. We've we've got really fantastic relationships with each other, lots of conflict, but also lots of conflict management strategies and. I think, um, crypto is especially prone to founders having, um, getting cold feet, wanting to do something else, seeing, you know, a bright light somewhere yeah, else so they can grass follow is Greener, Yeah. So, you know, there's people, people, people don't <coughs> feel invested enough in, in what they're doing in that one moment to actually fight things out and work something out that actually works for the whole company, works for the whole project and actually lifts everything up by hashing things out and, 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 and. You know, doing the hard work that's involved with creating a startup is is essentially the, the job. And a lot, I think a lot of crypto founders just go, I can you know I can get on, on this raise, I can be an advisor here, I can start this business here, I can do market making. Here. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of that going on, um, and a lot of distraction, I guess, um, because there's so much opportunity. You know, it's really hard to yeah. just focus. So I don't I don't hold that anyone um, against them for for doing that sort of thing
0: of course not and i hope my impression to the listeners wasn't that everyone is always free to free to choose whatever they want i guess there was a little bit of a level of uh irresponsibility uh back then with with people when you have a token yes it's not a security and or the maybe that's like still being worked out the legalities of a token but let's talk about like what a token is right when you have a token you you essentially have a community that's going to stick around for a while And while you may not have – let's take out, like, the legal requirements to that community. There's, like, almost like you have a moral requirement now to these people Mm. because, you know, you're creating a product. Not you specifically. I'm talking as a whole. You're creating a product. You're creating a company. You're taking in people's money. I mean, when you're taking in – you have almost like a moral – or I do at least. I feel like if I was sleeping at night, right, and I was doing a token sale – and so, like, getting through that, the greed and all those, like, levels is a very hard thing. A lot of people don't fall through it, but it's also a lot of press, pressure and a lot of stress. So, I guess the question is, is that, you know, like, come 2019, the, we're in a bear market. You're building out your products. You have your runway. Now, been talking about SportsBet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community, when you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back, and bets. You can play all sorts of games, and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair, and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British... Football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game, whenever that's going to be. Check it out. We've become okay with the fact that our big tech giants are selling our data. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. We use all these apps and they take our data and they sell it and they make money. Why are we okay with that? My sponsor, Permission.io, has decided to figure out a way to take all that Silicon Valley power and put it back in the hands of you and me. You're asking yourself how? Well, check it out, Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way that lets you take back control of your data and earn information, earn rewards, and earn content you now have the ability to basically say, this is all my data. And when advertisers come along or people want to come along and buy that data, uh, you get a piece of the action. So check them out, permission.io forward slash Charlie. I love talking about projects that are cool. I love talking about different companies that are so cool and that support me because I want to support them. Permission.io forward slash Charlie. You know, the token is like a double-edged sword almost. What is, so now on the flip side is, how do companies not become complacent meaning that how do they when they raise their money when they when they have their team when they say oh, now we're gonna build up the product and now they have their runway to do it and they've already the token you know went up or it's doing whatever it's doing how do companies now uh focus on building out the products and not just focusing on like announcements to make the token go up it's like a double-edged sword almost mm. i'm trying to explore well, I- this i don't know the answers
1: yeah I just think there's some really perverse incentives in the industry, like it's so cool you, you know it, it, you see um in traditional startup in the traditional startup world, you know there is there is accountability. If you start a company and you you know walk off the job essentially, if you lose focus, if you fuck it up essentially, you know that 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 sticks with you, you know because people actually do a lot of due diligence. they look into you, they look into your background, um, that doesn't really happen in in this market. Um, which is a good thing in some ways because it means that you know new ideas can uh, raise a lot of capital um, rather quickly and re- with relative ease to do things and experiment with ideas that would have never happened otherwise. So that's awesome. Yeah, but no, it does I- also mean that you know there, there is this whole thing of like the, the only financial incentive people have is to make the token price go up. Um, we, we have a slightly different view on that. We have a slightly longer view on that. But it's so easy to fall into the trap of, I, if I just make the token price go up, everything will work out. We'll be able to do what we want. We'll be able to build what we want, right? That's the temptation. That's the temptation. You give in to short-term desires. Um, you can really um, you know, lose focus. And, and that's, that's, a, that's a risk that has to be balanced for every founder out there, not just in crypto.
0: It's very interesting how that works. And it's kind of cool talking to you now after like reading a lot of what you wrote back in 2018. And it's almost like you wrote there was an article it said um where you wrote that the industry needs patience, honesty, and responsibility. It's not easy to say that in mid 2018 when we <laughs> were going through some sometimes where people were just talking about like uh crypto's existence. Who who were you talking to? Were you talking to the community? Do you think you were writing this for yourself?
1: I don't know. Um, I think I was writing it for myself a, a bit, just because you know we we were you know suffering as well. the whole The whole market was down. There was basically no prospect of raising more capital. Um, but you know we were in a much better position than a lot of other people. And I, I guess just after the you know the massive emotional crash that came with the downturn of Bitcoin in uh, you know after the very very peak in 2017 things just got really frantic and really desperate and people have just got to remember you know like there are good times and there are bad times but no matter what there are people that will be there and that are building things and are, are bringing more infrastructure to the ecosystem and are hopefully building things that actually have fundamental value and nothing can, nothing trumps fundamental value if you can build a product that people are willing to pay for in some respect in some way then you are guaranteed to have some means of funding that thing and as long as people are sticking around are actually trying to produce value we you know this industry will survive the second that we lose focus on that and we and we we throw this uh, throw the entire product mindset out we start building things that are you know very prone to falling away at a moment's notice you know yeah. a lot of the the yield farming coins from the last 3 months are just they're just gone you know it happens that quickly if there's if there's no actual value being produced there it's very easy for something to be there one day and then gone the next and as long as we continue to actually build things yeah and yeah everything the only will difference work out. between
0: defi and ic not the only difference but one of the big differences at least there's like a perceived understanding that these tokens are not a security in the sense that like there's like a perceived profits or something like that down the road well with some of the tokens there are but a lot of the DeFi coins, that's like you really should know or know what you're getting into when you're buying something called like sushi swap or whatever
1: <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> exactly the difference in buying you know like a token that's attached to a major company that has contracts with microsoft so you're like okay if the company does well then the token should do well but you know when when the shit hit the fan, that n- never really ended up happening. But you you made some it's it's cool watching your your progression over the years. You uh you guys made some interesting decisions. Um one of the things that you did was uh become a charity. And you 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 did that because you wanted to be able to uh spend um as much money as you can through the through through the token sale. And it's actually a very brilliant idea. Did you get any flack for doing that? Did you get any any kickback from that?
1: Um not really. Uh, it's been a bit of a burden for us. Obviously, you know, yeah, like when, you, when
0: auditing and numbers and everything.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies end up doing similar sorts of things anyway in terms of auditing, accounting. You know, we spend similar amounts of money on that. You know, but, but the governance process is much more um, involved. But we think that it was really important in a similar way to what the Zcash Foundation to legitimise our open source software through an open source software foundation. So that's why it was a really attractive option for us to just out of the gate, go, go down the not for profit route. And, um, yeah, there's a number of benefits there, obviously, and we're still reaping those benefits as well, especially with our secure messaging app. You know, being an open source software foundation really lends us a lot of credence that other companies just don't get. Um, so it's been really good from that perspective, but yeah, there, there, there has been a bit of, um, there has been challenges, of course, in, attaining and retaining that charity status. But thankfully, we've been able to demonstrate to everyone, including uh, regulators at home, that we are, you know, set up with the best intentions and all the correct processes.
0: You may be set up with the best intentions, um, but Australia is really known as like, at least to Americans, as the biggest big brother state. You know, uh, Mm. you guys are, from the moment you land in Australia, I mean, you talk about not just during COVID with (laughs) contact tracing, but, but cameras and, um from your cell phone bill to to everything i mean the privacy it's just non existent you have you guys accepted uh, you guys have australians largely like accepted the fact that your government is so involved in your day-to-day lives um and mm-hmm. is that one of the reasons like i find it kind of ironic that not ironic but i i find it very cool that you have like a huge privacy company you're not just building out like a like just one product you're you're building out a whole suite of tools. It's kind of funny that you're coming out of Australia. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess it's partially inspired by the overregulated nature of the country. I don't think it's quite as bad as what you're describing. No, there, the media it,
0: always makes it worse.
1: Yeah, but it is. It is a real problem, in my view. I've always, I've always perceived this that we, we just have a lot of rules, man. There's just a lot of rules for, for everything. Why I don't is know that? When it happened. I don't know when it happened. Culturally, Australians are supposed to be laid back. I never understood supposed to be that. Problem yeah. solvers, but instead we've become this place where, you know, doing doing things that are cool and interesting is unnecessarily hard. I don't know why. I don't know when it started happening. It started happening before my time, um, but it's it's a real concern.
0: Usually, but when countries do that, the there's right? like there's like an internal threat or an external threat, and the that, you know the governments have to tighten up. But I never. Australia was always this, and maybe, maybe my ignorance and I have to read up on, on why privacy laws and whatever became, but it's, mm. the point is, shit, my light's turned off. The point <laughs> is, I think I know why it happened actually because we've had it
1: so good for so long that people just, got nervous? they just trust, they just trust the government.
0: If the government the, wants yeah. to
1: put something through, there's, there's usually no pushback because we've had uninterrupted economic growth even through the GFC for 30 years right up until COVID. So, you know, things have been amazing in this country and it's really easy to put new rules in place. It's very hard to get rid of them. Uh, so, so
0: what you're saying is that it's not just in bad times that it's, it's you know, when, when a country's going through bad times, they have to push rules through and they get them through because there's like a unified front. But during good times too, when we're a lot more in the Australian laid back mentality, this was like a bit you guys in the ass in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's just like oh
0: yeah, new regulations, wow, the that, whatever.
1: The shit yeah, that we cool. come up
0: with on this show is just is just insane. Um, <laughs> but explain to explain to to folks uh, why you know using one or two different privacy related apps uh, doesn't actually protect you. What is like what are things like metadata that we hear about all the time that's actually ruining our privacy? And then, how, and then the last question is how, by building a whole suite of tools, does it solve the problem that you're about to tell us?
1: Well, I think privacy is a very un- poorly understood topic, actually. Um, I don't personally, I don't think it does matter if you have some apps on your phone that don't protect your privacy. It, it all depends on how you use the stuff you use on your phone. And the way most people use the stuff that they have mm-hmm. means that you're essentially handing over a complete social graph of your entire life to several dozen companies at once and several governments as well they all have access to it it's all stored it'll be stored for a very long time and you may not think you're doing anything particularly problematic today but there may come a time where someone turns around and decides they didn't like something you said or did a few years ago something you bought something something happened or or you know any any number of things um, th- these companies don't need this information. They don't need to know who you're talking to. You shouldn't have to worry about co- a conversation that you had two years ago coming to to bite you in the ass again. It's it's a it's a real problem, and I don't think people really understand the, the magnitude of the of the of the things that can happen to them if they're not careful with this stuff. I mean, if you look at Hong Kong and you look at the way that. The CCP has been you know encroaching upon the freedom the basic rights and freedoms of, of the Hong Kong people. Yeah. You see the way they're using surveillance technologies to essentially hijack this amazing communication technology that we've provided ourselves with um, to further their own interests and punish people who are just trying to exercise their basic rights and just get by on a daily basis. It can happen to everyone, and if we're not careful, if we don't actually you know pick and choose the things we use and yes. use them correctly. We we are we are walk, we're sleepwalking into potentially the biggest information disaster in world history.
0: There are there chat apps are treated completely the wrong way. They're treated like email and they're regulated like writing a letter uh or contract, you know, a physical mm. contract. That's not the case. I mean if you look at laws as it comes to things like contract law. If you have a verbal agreement with someone, there is still contractual law about that. I don't know if anyone realizes that when you have a verbal agreement with someone, you have to honor that up to a year. Like there that's the statute of limitations. Obviously a written contract 7 years plus, you know, this is in the US. So while the reason being is because there's an understanding that when you and I talk or people talk it's it's largely about experimentation. You can't hold everyone to everything they say, especially in conversations, because you're hypothesizing, you're theorizing, you're conversing, your intentions are good, you're, you're socializing, you're learning about yourself, you're making spoken mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you have the ability, so now what are chat apps? Chat apps are essentially that in the internet and digital age. These are our, chat apps are our method of, Direct and immediate, unfiltered communication. Now, all of a sudden, you put a chat. Think about this, guys, for a second. Everyone's going to flip out when they realize this. If your government or your corporation or whatever has every single word that you said that can be used against you completely out of context and not in the context of that you're talking about. Think of it like this, when, you know, you're sitting, you know, I'm, I was joke. I'll give you a perfect example. I was joking around with a friend of mine on YouTube when I was like 20 years old. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's go to Singapore, you know, I'll get a house there and blah, blah, blah. I've never been to Singapore, never flew to Singapore, never, I don't know anyone in Singapore, I know very few people there and know nothing. You can't even get, it's the hardest country to get citizenship in Singapore. Meanwhile, at my bail hearing, the government plays that video to tell the judge that Charlie's about to run away to Singapore in order <laughs> to put me back in jail so I don't get bail. Exactly, man. Spot on. Spot on. That's why we need privacy because it's not now. Granted, that was a public video, but should we be held accountable to every freaking little word that we say? Every and chat apps to our friends. You and I are chatting to each other. Now, we're not talking about putting bombs on airplanes. We're talking about, like, how funny was it that the guy tripped on the floor the other day, you know? Like, it's stupid little things or it's whatever. Innocu-
1: it's innocuous rubbish, you know? Exactly. Do you, do you want to have a written record of all of the garbage that's come out of your mouth in the At last the 10 years? the pub or something? Yeah, exactly.
0: But when you would disincentivize people from now using these chat apps, you might might as well all we might as well all just stop living on this earth because what's the point of living here if we can't talk and experiment with each other?
1: It used to be that when you chatted with someone it was just you two or you three or whoever was actually physically in the room. It's only the stick in the last
0: of gum transaction the same yeah, thing.
1: Yeah yeah, it's it's only in the last 10 years that the 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 world has decided that hey, let's make a written record of everything that we communicate or most things that we communicate to each other now. Let's have a surveillance device in our pocket that if is if it is compromised could record everything we're saying. You know, it's all up for grabs now. It's never used. To, it never used to be like this. Law enforcement is is having it too easy right now. The, the, the world has changed and our privacy laws and our attitudes towards privacy have not changed with it, even though they should.
0: That's the quote. That's that's the quote right there that we're going to start to show up. It's a great quote. It's a good point. Can you repeat it, actually?
1: What did I say?
0: <laughs> you said that basically like our, our social attitudes have changed. What you were saying was that, our views towards privacy and everything have changed and the internet has changed, but the laws have not changed with it.
1: Right. Our attitudes and our laws haven't changed with the changing nature of our uh, communication. It's not, it hasn't caught up at all. We're so far behind.
0: You know what? I want to, I want to ask you, how are you solving this? You know, to wrap it all up, everyone's been listening. Everyone's been, been paying attention. They've been watching us change our shirts midway through episode. <laughs> what type, so you talk about secure private chat, you talk about secure private messaging, secure private transactions. What, what else? Like, how do you bring it all together?
1: I don't think you can bring it all together. It all depends on, on, on what you're trying to do. But Aloki, we're, we're trying to do as much as we can with this awesome distributed decentralized technology that, you know, has emerged in the last 10 years. And we're trying to use that to solve these really hard problems you know if you want to message someone and have it so that only you two know that that conversation is taking place then session is the only thing you can use to really make that happen in a convenient package and it's it's done leveraging the same principles of decentralization the same principles of onion routing and and you know metadata scrubbing and all of that stuff that uh, has been used in many other places. It just hasn't been combined like this before. So that's what we're trying to do at Loki, where we're taking a novel combination of old ideas, basically smashing them together to create these products with these really amazing new properties that would have never occurred otherwise. So we're trying, we're trying to do our bit.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for doing it out of Australia. And thank you for doing it under a charity. Um, there's a lot of like reasons for all of this stuff. And, and, I know everyone's going to be excited to, to, to continue seeing what you're doing and to, and to follow along and, and thank you and thank your team for, for sticking around.
1: I thank my team too. Those guys are awesome. Guys and girls, they're great. And thanks so much for having me, Charlie. It's been an absolute pleasure.